Podcast One production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Yes, Adam is your health and fitness economist, and on each episode, he hacks into health and gets you the best bang for your buck. Adam, I rang you about this episode and said, can you please do one on longevity? Because I'm watching telly and I flicked past the entertainment channel and I was watching, you know, they always show a spotlight on the royals, you know, the queen mother, you got Prince Philip, even though he can't drive, he still looks pretty good. (laughs) And then they're showing all these celebrities who are getting older now. I mean, I'm talking about celebrities have been around for a long time from, you know, Bruce Willis, even Hugh Jackman, who's getting older now. And we've spoken about how he does a lot of fasting, but I'm thinking, are they just, do they just look good? Because if you're royalty, everyone looks after you. And if you're celebrity, you're treated like royalty anyway. So everyone looks after you. And all you've got to do is eat right and be fit. How do the rest of us mugs get to live a long, healthy <laughs> life? And I thought, I know who knows, Adam McDougall. So you're going to do an episode on how to live to 100, be healthy and strong. Is it possible? It is possible, mate. And, you know, it's ironic that uh, the people that are really going to pave the way for longevity, particularly um, in the next couple of years, are going to be people with lots of money. So (laughs) that's the one thing that money can't buy you. That's the one thing that money can't buy any of us at the moment is obviously the ability to live forever. So what's the point of being a billionaire like a lot of these people are, yet knowing that you're getting older, you can't even do the things that you want to do, even though you've got all the money in the world. Why? Because age does not discriminate. It's it's one of them things that the clock doesn't stop for anyone. So these older um, billionaires as such are investing a lot of their wealth knowing that they can't take it with them into the new frontiers of science. So things like stem cells, you know, there, there's some really amazing developments around this at the moment. There was a, a meeting held at the Vatican of all places. Now, we know that the Catholic Church wasn't really supportive of stem cells when they first come to, I suppose, the public domain. But um, from all reports, the Pope actually met with some of the richest people in the world, from the Richard Bransons to the Tony Robbins of the world. They're all at this um, meeting, I suppose, about stem cells and how they can progress human life and cure diseases. So, Tony Robbins has been quoted as saying that he thinks within the next five years that they'll have a cure for most diseases based off stem cells. So it's absolutely fascinating that the medical breakthroughs aren't going to come from government funding. They're actually going to come from billionaires who want to preserve their own lives and enrich their own lives. So it's very exciting. And they're the ones that can afford it. They've got more time than most of us. They've got bigger budgets, as I just alluded to. And a lot of these people are risk takers by nature. So, you know, one of the big fads in in America at the moment is um, a lot of them have to go overseas to um, countries like Nicaragua and some of these South American countries where they allow IV infusions of uh, stem cells directly in to their bodies. One uh, guy quoted as saying, it's like getting f- electricity injected into his veins. Um, Buzz Rutten, who's an ex-UFC fighter, who's uh, got some old injuries, went to uh, Nicaragua from memory um, and got um, stem cells IV'd into his veins. And he said it was like having electricity shot throughout his whole body. He said he felt alive again. So This is like something out of a sci-fi. These people are almost biohacking their own life. There's a great saying, there's tomorrow's technology is today's expensive toy. And <laughs> it's like when mobile phones came out, you know, they were really expensive, only the rich had them, and now we all have them. So you're saying it might not be stem cell research or whatever it is. And by the sounds of it, it sounds like the cowboy's doing it, but it may lead to us being stronger, especially if you're a UFC fighter, you know your body pretty well. You know if you're going to be having it, making it feel a difference. This guy says he feels amazing. 
Yeah, well, Mel Gibson, for example, took his father, who was told he had three days to live. He went, took him to the Mayo Clinic, so they've got plenty of money. Mel Gibson, obviously, and plenty of resources. And um, one of the doctors there mentioned stem cells to him. So, you know, he was basically told that his dad, you know, would be lucky to come out the other side of the hospital after doing all the tests. And um, Mel Gibson's quoted as saying that, you know, he, his dad uh, has uh, even got back his sex drive now. He's gone on <laughs> to live since since being told he had basically a week to live. There's some weirder stuff going on out there. They, they call themselves biohackers because a lot of these you know, billionaires now, you've, you've got Dave Asprey's of the world and all these guys who are sitting on the outer sort of fringes of, I suppose, normality and they're really pushing the limits. And you know, there's reports that some billionaires are actually getting the blood of young people, spinning it down and injecting it back into themselves to increase uh, youthfulness and um, their well-being. So there's some weird stuff going on. You know, People are harvesting the stem cells from their kids and then hopefully getting them donated back to themselves. There's plenty of stuff that they're doing, but you know, if we're talking about just the general public and what we've got access to today, the great thing about increasing our health and wellness is now that a lot of research is being done into the the key attributes to increase longevity and, and, and our ability to live longer. And whilst we've got all these great breakthroughs in science, from stem cells to DNA to gene sequencing, you know, to wearable technology and all these things that give us feedback on a day-to-day basis, it's incredible that the most basic and non-sexy thing that will give us longevity. And unfortunately, you can't just take a pill, even though they are working on it as we speak, but it's exercise. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's free. And, and, and the research has shown time and time again that exercise is the best thing to increase our longevity. Now, it's no point, I, I suppose, living till you're 100 odd years of age if you can't wipe your backside. So we need to first look at, well, how do we live longer to start with? Well, first of all, you need to look at what's killing us. So most people, like it or not, once they've hit the you know milestone of sixty years of age, die from falls. So right. that that's pretty that's pretty you know scary. So if you have a look at exercise, well, you can see straight away that this is going to have huge benefits to removing that threat. Um, when you look at the research, Alex, those people that exercised a little bit lowered their risk of death by a massive twenty percent. So we're talking less than one hundred and fifty minutes a week of just moving. The news gets so much better when you just try and do a little bit more exercise. If you do 150 minutes a week of moderate exercise, you decrease your risk of per- premature death by a massive 31%. Whoa. Right? That's incredible, you know? So, you know, it, it's just it's just incredible. And then once again, if you push it out and you're somebody that walks or moves around for about an hour a day, you decrease your risk of death by 39%. That's nearly 40%. Now, I can tell you now, there's no injection in the world, whether it's stem cells, whether it's blood from some young kid, (laughs) that's going to actually reduce your risk of dying by 40%. So the the motto here is just get up and move. You know, we've seen from study after study that, you know, the best form of exercise is just movement and it's basic sense. So getting up, going for a walk, buying yourself a bloody dog, there's a hack, and taking it out for a walk every single day. But we were designed to move and that's what we've lost with modern technology and the fact that we're sitting in front of computers and watching TV all day. So Adam, 150 minutes or under of exercise, hey, at least you're doing something. If you can get over 150 minutes, you are going to reduce your chance of death by 30 plus percent, which is insane. But it's very easy just to say, go do some exercise. Can we break down even further what type of exercise we should be doing in those 150 plus minutes? It's a great question and everyone knows that I love high intensity exercise and the reason being is because the science just keeps backing it up, you know. So if you want to increase your your, your chances of not dying even more, you can add nearly another 10% by implementing some form of high intensity training as well. So, 
you know, research has shown, you know, people that actually added in some high intensity workouts to their 150 minutes a week of just moving increased their life expectancy by another 10%, which is incredible. So when we talk about high intensity, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with it, it's just doing a sprint, moving as fast as you can. Now, I've got my theory on this, and my, my theory is this, is that back in the day when Dave was a caveman and, you know, me and you were walking around with no clothes on and just hunting and gathering – if you stop moving fast, your body would send out all these physiological responses to say, well, you're not going to live for much longer. So you can't oh. move fast anymore. So there's no point rebooting myself and, and regenerating cells and, and preserving you know my youth if I'm going to get eaten by a tiger because I can't run away. So I think this is the key that you know our bodies respond to stress. And if we're not continually adapting to the stress, our bodies then die naturally. So if we're not moving quick and we're not pushing ourselves and lifting stuff that's heavy and continually moving, you're sending signals to your body cells and to the, the hormones that you know, you're not surviving and thriving. So there's no point in upregulating and regenerating a lot of these cells and a lot of these hormones that are imperative for you to stay at your peak. So I think there's a lot of ancestral evolution in what the body is doing. So therefore, forcing it to actually move fast makes your body realize it's going to be here for longer. So that's where I think high intensity stuff is really, really beneficial. But going back to my last point before about the biggest killers and falls being the biggest killer of people over the age of 60 outside of heart disease, well, both of these things are going to be really benefited by exercising. So one of the things that they do to see how long you live for, Alex, believe it or not, which is a better indicator than most blood tests, is just basically grip strength, which is absolutely incredible. They did a, a research study where more than half a million participants um, in the UK between the ages of 40 to 69 were recruited over a three-year period. And um, during that time, more than 13,000, only 3% of these people died, which is Unbelievable. Six percent developed heart disease, Jeez. and two percent developed yeah, two percent developed um, respiratory disease, and um, close to six percent were diagnosed with cancer. So this was a very very in depth study that had some really sad outcomes. But after accounting for their age and, and all these different sort of factors, what they found was the key indicator of whether or not these people would die was their grip strength. So for men that had a grip strength of less than 26 kilograms or 57 pounds and women that had a grip strength of less than 16 kilos or 35 pounds, they had a much higher risk of overall death than the other group who were stronger. So Adam, can you explain though, like what is actual grip strength? Is it the ability to uh, think about when well, maybe I hold my own body weight up after I do a stretch off some bars or is it just to pick something up of that 27 kilo weight? Like what is grip strength? Yeah, well, they use the device, which is a bit like the old uh, set of pliers that, you know, you, you'd see the old strongman use where they squeeze them together. Oh, yeah. And um, they got really famous in the 80s. You know, Joe Weider, the bodybuilders and all that used to, you know, try to get massive forearms by these pair of, you know, grippers. And um, a lot of guys now in the gym are actually buying what they call fat grips. So they're putting them on the barbell. So all of a sudden they slip over the bar and they make your hands actually have to work harder and your wrists and they increase your grip strength. To get in a Ninja Warrior, you know, you've got to hang off a bar, do a dead hang for up to five minutes to actually get accepted to trial for Ninja Warrior. Five minutes. So give that a go today. Yeah, five minutes of dead hang. So that shows your grip strength, which is so important in doing something like, you know, the Ninja Warrior or the obstacle courses. But, you know, what they, they found, the huge correlation between grip strength and all these diseases was the fact that 
it comes back to muscle. And we know muscle is medicine. So, you know, muscle controls everything from, you know, your ability to, to use food when you eat it. Um, it's your ability to, to basically pump blood throughout the body. It's so important. You know, it controls body movement, regulates blood sugar. So muscle is medicine, as we, we always say on our podcast. So the other interesting thing too is, is that we touched upon it, is, is falls as well. So, you know, outside of this, it makes common sense that the other thing that is a real good indicator of lifespan is your leg strength. So, you know, there's been a lot of studies out there that have done on, on men and women that have shown that, um, you know, the stronger that people are um, in their legs, the longer that they, that, that they live, um, which makes intuitive sense because they're, they're not going to fall. It just doesn't stop there, I suppose, with the leg strength one as well, is they also found that it affected people's cognitive function as well, their memory and their learning, which was really, really interesting. And the more leg strength you had, it was a better predictor of your brain health than any other lifestyle factor looked at in any of the studies. I can't believe that uh, if I have stronger legs, I'm going to have a stronger brain. Like, I love this stuff. <laughs> well, it's crazy. So they took two twins and the one with more leg strength at the start of the study maintained their mental ability better and they had fewer age-related brain changes than the other twin with weaker legs. Now, it's absolutely mind-blowing to see such a difference in cognitive and brain structure in identical twins based solely on the difference in leg power. So... You know, this once again just simplifies the fact that, you know, if you're not doing stuff that's going to increase your leg strength, make sure you get out there and do it today. Like I've always said, even just doing some stuff at home, one-legged squats, some, you know, step-ups, some body weight, um, lunges, whatever it might be, some running on the spot, you know, you can't underestimate the importance of having strong muscles to living longer. Adam, this is the most fascinating thing I've heard. And it kind of makes sense. You know, you've got stronger legs, you're going to have stronger posture. You're just going to feel good about yourself. And of course, like you said, when you get older, the ability to be strong in your legs stop you from falling over. But when you are older also, I mean, I've got the problem now. My knee hurts. I don't do squats because it ruins my tendons. I do other things to try and get leg strength. What do you do if you've got a dodgy knee or you're getting older and you can't do squats for your quads? How else can we improve that leg strength? It's a great question. And, you know, I always say to people that, you know, we don't get old and then stop moving. We stop moving and then we get old. Yeah. So our bodies have got an amazing ability to adapt, Alex. Research after research has shown that people with osteoarthritis, whether it's in their knees or, you know, they've got um, pain in their back. For example, a, a study in 2004 um, showed that the act of just walking for 10 minutes a day decreased back pain by up to 50% in the population with, with um, symptoms of back pain. Um, then you look at people with osteoarthritis in the knee, they've shown that people that go and run, you know, it improves their pain and mobility and functionality of their knee. People that do resistance training with a bad knee actually decrease pain and increase their ability to function. So the last thing you want to stop doing is allowing pain to dictate to you what you can and can't do. You've got to really start to push the barriers. But, you know, there's more fun ways of getting fit. Like studies have shown like dancing is probably better than just doing mindless exercise like going to the gym. Why? Because we know with aging as well, we have a lot of problems with our, our mental abilities. There's obviously diseases like Alzheimer's disease and dementia. So something that challenges not just the body, but the brain. And we know the connection now between exercise and the brain. The brain, when you exercise, produces brain-drive neurofactors, which essentially just you know reboot your brain and help the brain stay youthful. So dancing is a great way you know, for people to stay youthful and, and to stay mobile and to stay fit. So a research study recently of elder women found that when they were dancing, their need for assistance in daily activities like walking, getting dressed, eating, having a bath, decreased by a massive 73%. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Like when you think about that, 73%, their ability to live more effectively on a day-to-day basis increased as a result of just having a dance. Why? Because it increased muscle tone, it improved their balance, and um, it really 
even reduced cognitive decline, which is amazing. That's that thing you and I have spoken about before. It's like doing exercise without realising you're doing exercise. Why not do something fun like swim, you know, run, play tennis, play with the kids, go dancing, then just lift weights or go to the gym like it's a chore, actually enjoy it. So I guess you're prescribing that we should all just move to Latin America and start salsa. <laughs> well, no, the great thing is, is, you know, you think about it logically too, is, you know, people often say to people when they're getting older, make sure you keep doing crosswords or take a different route when, you know, you're going to the shops or drive a different way or brush your teeth with your different hand and challenge your brain because like, like we touched upon, the brain is very responsive to stress and to new challenges. So dancing is, is such a great thing because you're going to be learning different moves. You're responding to the music. It's very reactive. So you can see why it's such a great form of exercise, not only for your body, but for your brain. But there, there are going to be people out there that once again, might not be able to exercise with dancing as well because they've still got a bad knee. So they're not at loss here because swimming is another great way to get exercise that's low impact. You know, in fact, a study in 2014, Alex, looked at the risk of falls in older men and compared them to people that didn't swim. So there's one group that were swimmers and one group that wasn't swimmers. And there was a huge reduction in the risks of falls and their improvement and balance of people that made swimming a regular exercise. So once again, you know, I think the lesson we're getting here is, is that there's any sort of exercise that challenges your muscles, go and do it because I tell you what, it's going to strengthen them, them muscles as much as they can. It's going to help with your balance, your proprioception. It's going to help, you know, with your spatial awareness and it's going to help with your brain development. And that's what's going to help you live for longer. More with Adam McDougall on how to live to 100 in just a sec. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. This is The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. And Adam, there's a thing you've said a couple of times in this podcast, which is uh, funny the way you say it, but actually quite serious, is that People treat their body like a theme park in their 20s, but you only pay the exit fee, which is a lot more expensive, in your 30s, and you start to realize, oh, maybe I'm not invincible. And we're talking about how to live to 100 and keeping good leg strength and things like swimming or dancing and just moving is what's going to make your older life, I mean, we're planning for a long life ahead here to be healthier and happier, but when do I really need to start implementing this? Because it's very easy for me in my 30s to go, oh, I'm pretty fit, I won't worry about it. Like, should I be on this now? Mate, it's a great question, isn't it? And, you know, it's, it's a bit like um, women who are pregnant. We're now finding more and more research showing that what they eat themselves then affects their children when they're born, everything from their gut bacteria to their allergies to, to their immune system. So it's like this as well, you know. I always, you know, laugh about the fact that, you know, in your 20s, you think you're bulletproof and then you still get to your 30s and, you know, things start to maybe not move as well as they used to. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're at 60 and you're like, holy shit, I wish I didn't do, you know, that stupid, you know, obstacle course race, or I wish I didn't drink so much beer. So, you know, research is showing now time and time again that the earlier you start being healthier, the better. The University of Miami, for example, did a a research study where they found if you maintain a healthy body into your mid-40s, then you'll have nearly a 40% lower risk of having a stroke after you're 65. So research like this is just showing you once again that the best time to start trying to look after yourself for tomorrow is today. Um, another study from the Northern Western University in Chicago found that people that stayed skinny, they kept their blood pressure low, and they didn't have diabetes up until the age of 55, reduced their risk of heart failure, which is the second biggest killer of, of, of people over the age of 60, by a massive 86%. Whoa. 86%. So if there's not enough motivation for you, you know, in your 30s and your 40s to go and exercise because you're married and you think you can just sit back down and throw your hands up in the air because your partner just won't care. <laughs> well, here's a here's another reason to get off your backside and move. Mate, you want to reduce your risk of having a heart attack by 86%? I think of it like the Chinese proverb, which was the best 
time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. <laughs> the second best time is now. If you want that big, strong tree, as in your body to be big and strong in 20 years' time, plant the bloody tree now or like a savings account. If you want lots of money when you're older, start putting away two bucks every day now It's because it won't happen overnight. It takes a long time to build up. And I think, you know, as you said, muscle is medicine. When you're older, if you've got a lot of that muscle still in you, sure, you'll be skinnier, you won't be able to lift as much, but you'll be stronger than the next person. And 86%, like, if you're a betting person, that's pretty good odds. But on that, Adam... Once you start pushing 80, no matter how fit, I'm sorry, you were in your 60s and 70s, like how good a quality life are you really going to have? Is this muscle now and I build up over the next 10 years really mean I'm going to be a fit and sprightly 95-year-old? Like I've never really seen that. Like how much of a difference can it really make? Or am I just going to be cooked like the rest of us? It's great. It's a great question. And there's a term in science or, or medicine we use, which is lifespan versus health span. So lifespan is obviously how long you live for, but health span is, well, how many of them years that you live for are actually healthy, where you can be productive and do the things that you want to do. So say that again, lifespan versus health span. Yeah. So lifespan is how long you actually live for. And then health span is actually how many years of your life are actually healthy and active and you're able to do the things that you really want. And you know, we're living in this this contradiction of a world at the moment where our lifespan's increasing, but our health span's decreasing. So we're living for longer, but the quality of our life in them later years is worse. So it's really a problem we've got in society now. The developments in medicine, Alex, that, you know, we can live to a hundred, you know, pretty comfortably, a lot of people now, yet our health quality drops off because of poor lifestyle. And, and once again, it's sort of technology is great, but it's also letting us live longer, but it's also robbing us of them quality years at the end of our lives. So Adam, we want to increase our health span number to be as close to as possible as our lifespan number. So we're enjoying it as much as possible. So does that mean internally we might be the age of 60, but on the inside, we've got a body that can do something of an average 40-year-old? You speak about the inside and that's where cells play such an integral part in our health span. So the ability of us to have energy, the ability of us to be vibrant, you know, the ability of us to not age as such on a cellular level. And just because you're 60 doesn't mean that biologically that you're 60. You look at someone like Mark Boris, for example, and I don't want to embarrass him, but he looks so bloody healthy. Like if you looked at him, you wouldn't guess that he's in his 60s. He looks unbelievable. Still having fights professionally, still probably kicking the butts of a lot of, you know, younger guys in the gym. And it's because of the fact that his cells are young. And why are his cells young? Well, you look at things like telomeres. Now, basically, telomeres, the length of your telomeres will determine from a cellular level how long you will actually live for and the quality of that life. So what are telomeres? They're essentially just protein end caps on the end of our chromosomes. So if you think of them like a biological clock, they're very correlated with your age. And each time a cell is damaged, it has to replicate itself. So we lose a bit of that end cap off the chromosome. So therefore, the older we get, the shorter these chromosomes actually become because over time, you are being exposed to more damage, whether it's stress, whether it's you know a bad diet, whatever life throws at us, basically stress reduces the length of your telomeres. Okay, so being like one of these biohackers, I don't have millions of dollars, but I've got access to you. So <laughs> you and me and the person listening to this podcast will want to know then, these telomeres on the end of our chromosomes, you said they are like a clock. Can we increase the length of them by changing our lifestyle? Will they get longer again? Or is it just about slowing down how shorter they are? how much shorter they're getting? Yeah, it's a great question. And and science has shown once again, so this isn't just stabbing in the dark or guesswork. Once again, physical exercise has shown that people that do this have telomeres or a biological aging advantage of nine years over those who are just sedentary. So 
it's it's insane when you think about the fact that exercise actually increases the length of these telomeres and stops them from shortening. So if you want to see a real difference in slowing down your biological aging, you know, just exercise. Um, and even more beneficial, once again, is doing high intensity stuff. It doesn't have to be a ridiculous amount, but as long as you're moving and you're trying to move fast as well, um, every now and again, you will actually preserve your biological clock. And then all of a sudden, you know, you might be able to go to a nightclub when you're 50 and not look stupid. So exercise not only will stop telomere shortening, you'll actually lengthen them. This has turned into a science podcast very quickly. I love it. <laughs> and you're saying it's all about your cellular health, which is going to determine how healthy you are on the inside versus your actual linear age. What else can we do to make our cells as healthy as possible? Alex, the buzzword at the moment in longevity and health and wellness and being able to live forever is uh, mitochondria. These things that are little powerhouse cells um, in our body, which convert essentially oxygen, food and water into energy to power our bodies along. So there's about 10 million billion right. of them in your body. So 10 million billion. So that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. They're basically in every single cell. They're in your brain, your heart, all your muscles. The job of mitochondria, Alex, is to take the oxygen you breathe in, to break down the fuel that you eat, to create energy that powers your body. So every cell in your body relies on mitochondrial energy supply to function. If it doesn't, your body just declines. So essentially, without healthy mitochondria, you don't have energy. You have no ability to move and function well. So it's very, very important now we've started to realize that these little powerhouse cells are the key to living a great life. But the problem with this process is that it does create a lot of reactive oxygen species in our body. So a lot of waste, um, free radicals um, are produced um, in our body and um, they actually can harm the mitochondria. So if you damage your body more than it can repair itself, you're going to get this dysfunction in your mitochondria. What do you mean by damaging your body? Like through bad exercise or injury or health? Lack of exercise, bad health habits like smoking, a bad diet, um, stress, not sleeping enough. You know, this reduces the energy that it's going to send to all the cells in your body, um, leading to a decline in the function of all your body's organs and all your tissues. So, you know, you have to be really, really careful because the aging disease, as I like to call it, can really be directly linked to mitochondrial dysfunction. So, you know, you have you have a look at, um, you know, some of the things that can reverse, you know, your mitochondrial health. Um, things like a massage, for example, um, increases the growth of mitochondria. Fasting, you know, um, increases uh, your mitochondrial density as well. Um, calorie restriction is another one that does it. But Adam, also, you said that mitochondria, their first act is taking oxygen and converting it through the bloodstream into energy. What if I'm doing HIIT exercise versus slow burn exercise, which really increases my VO2 max? Is that going to help mitochondria take that extra oxygen and utilize it more efficiently? That's a great question. And it all comes back to stress once again. So, We've found that short bursts of exercise, once again, give your body that little bit of stress to grow stronger and become more efficient. And that's what happens to the mitochondria when they're exposed to high-intensity exercise. They're actually forced to regenerate and they're put under stress. So therefore, to provide the, the energy required to do the high-intensity exercise, your mitochondria need to reboot and reestablish themselves and become more effective at providing energy to the body. So that's a positive stimulus. And that's why things like intermediate fasting and calorie restriction also make the mitochondria more effective at using the energy they've got. Whereas when you overeat, it makes your mitochondria very sluggish and very lazy. So therefore, they just you know go off and, and dwindle away. So this is the key, you know, making sure that you're giving your body the right doses of stress at the right time. So once again, if we can tap into the science that's evolving around the best things to do, such as intermediate fasting, high intensity exercise, all of a sudden you're going to have a lot more energy as you get into your later years of life. So Adam, 
In summary, we want to live to 100, sure, but you don't want to limp over the finish line. You want to be as healthy on the inside as you are on the number that you are on the outside. And to do that, we want to increase the way that our body uses and keeps us energetic and moves. So leg strength actually weirdly can help your brain strength. And of course, leg strength and overall muscle strength stops you from falling over, which kills a lot of people prematurely or means they're injured and they slow down and they have a premature death because, you know, if you can't move, you're not living. So making your muscles stronger now, as in like you want to put money in that bank now is what's going to save you later. And then other things you can do like high intensity exercise will increase your cellular strength on how to convert energy and keep you fitter for longer. So if we can combine our muscle strength with our cellular strength, it's going to help our mental strength and our inner health age get closer to our outer age. And we're going to be able to live to 100, doing it all the way, rocking to the top rather than just limping over the line. Is that right? Couldn't have said it better myself, Alex. Man, I just love this podcast. I'll speak to you on the next one, mate. Can't wait. Health Hacker was created in collaboration with Podcast One. Written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au. Download the Podcast One app or find us on Apple Podcasts.